Hey, everybody. Welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello. Hello. So it's just after Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Kathy. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Candy Day for a lot of people. (laughs) Today on the show, we're going to talk about the Hulu series that has nine episodes. Count them. Nine. How I Caught My Killer. Nine is a lot. Nine was a lot. And nine, like, pretty long episodes. They're all about 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah, I mean, this series is absolutely meant to be watched over a longer period of time than we watched it. Than our, than our binge. Yeah. 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 I mean, I broke it up. Of course we had a couple yeah. of weeks to deal with it, but For sure. um, I, I can say by the end I was exhausted emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely say that I enjoyed the female narrator. You know, a lot of times yeah. these shows will have sort of that older white guy voice mm-hmm. happening. The forensic files. Voice. <laughs> yeah. The forensic files voice. And, and I enjoyed this, uh, this narrator. I thought it was pretty solid, although I did feel a little kind of exhausted about the way it was produced. And I think you felt yeah. similarly. <laughs> I, I do. I think that because true crime has become something that is almost fetishized at this point that now rather than just allowing the stories to tell themselves they do this really dramatic opening of like you know the low budget Billie Eilish kind of voice Mm -hmm. song that's supposed to bring more emotion to it and Mm -hmm. it just felt kind of cheesy to me and and really forced and because the stories by themselves were very intense exactly like I felt emotionally charged or affected Mm -hmm. by all the stories and just the facts and you're going into it knowing that every single episode has a a victim that's right and that the idea behind the show is how i caught my killer meaning that every single victim left a a bit of a trail mostly in technology which we're going to talk about a bit of a trail that helped catch their own killer Mm -hmm. is basically the idea behind the show. And it's on Hulu. And, and interestingly enough, which I think is probably accurate data wise is that most of the victims were part of the LGBTQ community. They certainly, it was certainly 95% marginalized in one way or the other. So I went through and I counted one, two, three, I think at least four or five out of the nine identified as queer. And then there were one, two, three, four black and two white. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was certainly a lot of, I mean, I guess the overarching component regarding the victim profile was there. It all involved bullying mm-hmm. of some kind. Yeah. And I think that's where the, as much as I had issues with the documentary and other areas, I think that it really drove home that the victims were all well before their murder had a paper trail or a technology trail of bullying in some way, maybe with the exception of Nikki Kuhnhausen, the first woman, Mm -hmm. she had a really large TikTok following. I think it was. Yes. And I also had um, just some, mixed feelings around how the use of technology can be helpful, but also hurt. It has also hurt people because it makes them easier Mm -hmm. bait, but also how it was, what was used to solve a lot of these crimes. So like I thought about that too, like with technology, people can get lured into things easier, but it's also an easier way to track. A lot of the times it's how they met 
That's person right. that ended up killing them. But some of them were friends, of course. And, yeah. And also, we're not even suggesting that the murderers were always not a part of that community because they're. That's they that's did, right. They did show that there were people people of color or um, people in marginalized communities that were committing um, crimes on each other as well. It wasn't just. Mm-hmm. Definitely on all of the spectrum of queer right. and the spectrum of people of color as well. Well, and I think it shows too that within our own marginalized communities that there's that further marginalization and almost like killing each other off in a way. We see this a lot with within marginalized communities. It's not an uncommon thing and it's devastating to see, but it's very true that a lot of the perpetrators of the crimes were the same demographic as mm-hmm. the victim. Yeah. Well, and I also kind of, uh, and, and on the flip side of that or in conjunction with that, I want to normalize the fact that we are often, if we are murdered, we are often murdered by people that are part of, our lives. Yeah. And so if you are a person of color, you may have more people of color in your life. That's right. If you are a queer person, you may have more queer people or anyone in your life. So right. I want to normalize that too. Sure. Is it's, mm-hmm. is we are often, I mean, I think statistics bear this out, you know, it's like when when you go into a straight home with domestic violence. Yeah. So the the male is always the first suspect. Right. You know, the husband or the wife, whoever died, the other person, if is you the live fir- with them, that's is right. always the first suspect. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. So it's similar in this, even though the demographic also of the nine episodes skewed very young. I think there was mm-hmm. only one um, victim that was older than, you know, college age. Yeah, and I think he was still like in his 20s. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that is because all of this is primarily social media related and that's the you know the younger that generation right now really does so much of their communication Mm -hmm. through a lot of those apps Mm -hmm. or social media platforms so that was interesting to me to see and and watch how many of these people just leaned into and trusted like some of the ones that just met up with people that they would talk to yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, dating online was represented. Having sex working, uh, sex work online was represented. Some of the, some of it was social media based. A lot of it was just cell phone based. We all have a cell mm-hmm. phone, so you know, a lot of text messages and things were used to track. There was one that was a fitness app. Yep. That oh, was tracked. yes. That mm-hmm. was that was really cool. Yeah, and I believe that was the one that was in Michigan. That was the one that was Michigan. I was telling Shannon before this recording today that episode six is about a young woman april Millsap, in 2014 in a place called armada michigan and there's a there's a really big trail in michigan called the macomb orchard trail that really goes through various counties mostly i think through shelby township and i was watching this episode i'm originally from the detroit area and sometimes when i go back to visit i have a friend who lives in shelby township and when i go for a run i'll run down the macomb orchard (laughs) trail and it's a different part it's not the same part she lived in but it is very remote and you know i go in the morning where like a lot of people are out and running and stuff but um, it was kind of eerie to watch that and go, wow, I could have been pulled into, you know, it's just like really creepy because it mean, was very running trails are a thing with yeah. true crime. It's, uh, definitely not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not an environment that has not had a lot of murders. So that's if right. You run remotely, yeah. you know, keep your wits about you. I think the episode that got me the most though was episode three, Brandy Rosen, I think her name was, okay. took place in 2012 in Youngstown, Ohio. 
where she was buried alive. I felt really, I mean, for all of their parents and loved ones, I felt terrible for all of them. But this one where the the killers actually bragged to the mother about what they had done to her daughter and um, the text messages and the further like, yeah. you know, psychopathy that ensued from these killers bragging about the fact that like they- it, Like it continued on for them. Yeah, even after, after the, the death. Yeah. So they, you know, stomped her and then buried her alive and bragged about it. That one, I think, really got me. The fact that they were sort of torturing the survivors that yeah, way. Yeah, and that she was buried alive. I mean, yeah. that's like, that's ev- most everyone's worst nightmare, that and like drowning, you Is know? Is that the one where they found a bunch of dirt in her? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was tough. Another thing that was, uh, so positive things about this was that, I mean, these were cases I had never really heard about. So that was... Mm-hmm. These were these were not case, the nine cases that they dealt with were not sensationalized cases that everybody's heard about and knows about. They were right. all um, victims and and murderers that, that I wasn't aware of, uh, and so that was I like having exposure for you know families and the 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 families of victims around their cases because I know that when you're living with that and in grief around that, it can be helpful and to have yourself represented in the media and and your and your lost loved one talked about and yeah, little closure given attention to and and have the outpouring I'm sure of support I'm hopeful of support that the victims families would get from something like this so that was interesting to me um, I did feel that like each episode we talked a little bit in the beginning tongue-in-cheek about how it was like overproduced or Mm -hmm. but it's but it's very much in line with the old school true crime episodes one 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 case an episode you know there we have gotten in for many years we have gotten into this pattern of like the show we're going to talk about next week uh the killing county is like you know three four episodes around the same case and really dragging it out and really going into a lot of detail and all of that We've gotten into that paradigm. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to that older yeah. format, which I believe they're doing one, one more One crime now. an episode. Yeah, yeah, we just did, you know, we did a did one on a series recently that was kind of like that. And so it sounds like, seems sort of seems like they're going back to like having both. Like yeah. some are, some aren't. But I did feel like, <laughs> strangely enough, I did feel like some of the episodes were still belabored being 45 minutes they long. They were. It's almost like, <laughs> listen, if we're going to do this, you have to extend it to this amount where some of them could yeah. have been 30 minutes and yeah. it would have been fine. Yeah, I agree. And I think because it was nine episodes, the I found myself in episode seven, eight, and nine. Try, it was harder to keep attention and not because those crimes were any less important or, no. but they, yeah. they sh- what they should have done is really broken this up into two seasons, I think. And they should have done like four or five, one, and then four or five for a second one. Cause it, it I mean, That's I get lot. not many people are going to watch it in maybe the two week span that we did, but it is a lot, you know, quite honestly, a lot of people are going to, yeah, watch they it might watch past. it all you know, in one so day. Many bingers, That's but true. like, but I, but I, don't know I wouldn't recommend this, that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to recommend that just because I'm, I'm aware too. There was one episode that wasn't technology based necessarily. It was like her diary. Oh, that's right. They yeah. found her diary. That was, was cool. One, yeah. One young that woman's cool. diary was helpful. Was that case. the one who thought she was pregnant? I believe so. Yeah. She, Shanisha, Shanisha Forbes. Yeah. I think that she thought she was pregnant and she was bullied mm-hmm. and they found her diary. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's wonderful when nameless faces can find, you know, the families can find some justice to this. It's a it's a delicate balance because I know a lot of people feel that true crime can exploit. But I think in documentaries like this, it just allows people to tell the story and for these people's real reputation and identities to be represented in a respectful way. Mm-hmm. And I think also, again, just reiterating the fact that technology now allows us to reopen cases and find what we need. Shannon was alluding to the one of the cases where the, the, this was actually the young woman who was running the Macomb Orchard Trail. When they checked her fitness app, they, they tracked like when her heart rate went up and they tracked her trail of running and, it, and how it would showed how this line, like she was basically trying to run away from her killer. And that's how they found this guy on his motorcycle who had happened to be in the area at that time. I thought that one was really cool from like a forensics standpoint of how they were able that one fascinated me the most as far as how they use technology Yeah, it was unique in that sense like something maybe we haven't heard about or talked about right. before because at one point they um the killer still had her phone and so they were able to just follow where he was going on his motorcycle yeah. for a little while before he threw it away yeah you know something that i just with all transparency that i struggle with though and maybe maybe this is like a to I'm trying not to be judgmental. I'm trying to find the right sort of way of assessing this just from like an adult and a psychologist where I feel like I want, I clearly want people to be proud of their identities and proud of their sexuality and proud of, I never want people to feel apologetic about any of that. Mm -hmm. But it does scare me sometimes how much people put out there about themselves because I get, I get that there's a reason why, especially trans folks, queer folks, you know, all of that, like we don't want to ever apologize for who we are, but there's a balance between that and sort of really putting your whole life on social media. And I, I want, you know, when I watched the first episode and this is not, you know, I don't, this is, there's, absolutely no reason for anyone to be murdered. This is not about victim blaming, but I would have been really scared if I was that mom, you know, like I was, I love that her mom was so supportive of her coming out experience. And, but at that age, she had millions of followers and whether you're trans or cis, or I don't care about any of that. It's the age of, cause she was young mm-hmm. and that always scares me. It is scary. I was thinking that while you were talking, I was thinking like, that's true for anyone anyone, any time, any age, any demographic, but I think because we are highlighting and because this series highlights the fact that marginalized communities are targeted and the data bears out that they're bullied more and often assaulted more. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm not sure if they're killed more, but yeah, this is this series is sort of suggesting that. Yeah, no, there's they definitely like, we know that black trans women are the number one for homicide. There you go. Yeah, uh, and I don't know about age groups and all of that, but yeah. my point was my point my thought is is that if you are a community that is targeted and more marginalized, it's like you said, it's this very dicey area where it's like you would never want to shut anyone's voice up you would never you know everybody marginalized communities fight so much to have a voice that this 
in our communities these days, the way you have that voice is often in social media. And then there's often a lot of bullying. Yeah. And if you are not careful about how you conduct your life, in that way, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like just the rough. privacy factor, right? So I have a, a, I'll share with you a de-identified case I'm on right now. This is just a clinical case I have of a, a, a young trans girl. She's uh, just about to go into her freshman year in high school. And she has other health issues that are, not that being trans is a health issue, but the reason I'm sharing this is there's a lot of, there are a lot of other things in her life that her mom is like, hey, we need to get this straight, straighten up and you taking care of yourself before we can move to this next thing sure. and, and looking at what transitioning looks like for you. And I see, like wanting to take care of the health issues. Yeah. Like if you're not giving yourself your insulin yet, you want to start taking hormone. Like we, we yeah, need to, like right. One at a time. And I agree with that, but where sometimes I struggle with maybe with mom, although well-intended is mom is scared that if her daughter starts to transition to, to obviously that she's going to be bullied. She's going to be hurt. She's going to be killed. And I, as much as I understand mom's worry, what I try to help mom understand is also, but the, the denial of that could cause more internal distress that could yeah. lead, lead to destruction. And so talking to my client and listening to her here, like my mom doesn't want me to, she's too anxious. And that, is depressing for me and helping them find that balance helping as a them family. understand each other's perspective yeah, and all of the totally. fear involved. And it's like, yes, mom. And she w could be bullied anyway. That's right. And she is anyway for yeah. other reasons, right? For other reasons. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and she's going to be in the world. Yeah. And the more she can feel like herself and confident in that and feel solid and grounded in that, it's possible that that will help her not be as bullied because well, she'll that's have that right. self-confidence. That's just right. And there's where like, how do you help them build those protective factors? Yeah. But anybody young who is on a platform that large, like our first woman, right. you know, right. I would, as much as I would have been so proud as that mother to be like, wow, my daughter's really, you know, she's, she's just such a, a voice for this community, the people who are shitty in this world are going to find a way to get to her. Absolutely. And I, I'm on TikTok and I, I watch a lot of TikTok and social media stuff. And, and I follow a lot of um, people that are part of the queer community on TikTok and uh, for all different ages, honestly. And there's a lot of bullying anyway. Yep. Of everyone. <laughs> All of the people in the queer community, all of the people of color having arguments and issues and being bullied for cultural reasons. There's people who are overweight and they're constantly bullied for that. Like, it's just that is a piece of social media that if you are not equipped for that, and I would argue a lot of young people are not, right, is kind of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like they're just not prepped for that. There's that's such an ego-destroying piece of life that if you aren't incredibly strong, it's really hard to weather that, no mm -hmm. matter your age, no matter your culture or et cetera. So I don't know. It's tough. I mean, I feel for 
anyone who has a yearning and a desire and a passion for social media and being a social media influencer and then getting into it and it kind of not being what you, I just see a lot of stories about that of like not being what you imagined. Yeah. I mean, there's horror movies made on it. Yeah. And there's a lot of positivity as well. You find your people, you find your community, you do a lot of good. I mean, a lot of people go into it to give information and provide community and do a lot of good. I mean, we're here for the same reason. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we're doing is the same reason. And, and, but we are in a situation that for the most part, you know, whatever hate we get or whatever c- conflicts we get in the world, we're equipped as people to deal with that for the most part, you know, and mm-hmm. to put it in its proper place in our lives. But man, like you said, the young, the youth that is represented in this series, man. A lot of it is just a parent's worst nightmare yeah. as far as how how they were put in harm's way. Oh, my gosh. And just, yeah, walking themselves into situations, for some of them, just for survival. And then yeah. they end up dying. Yeah, and, and we, we did a series a little while back, and I think I made the comment of, like, I don't know how I survived college. And it was death in the dorms. And, and I felt a little bit like this, too, except I didn't grow up in all of this media. You know. But had I... I would have been involved sure. in all of these of things. Course. I would have been yeah. taking Ubers at 17 and and on all the drugs and drinking and running in the backwoods with my cell phone and my fitness apps and all that. Like I would have right. done all that. Sure. It's, ter- it's terrifying. So in general, this series, I would say if you're, you know, into that paradigm of true crime it has something to add to the landscape as far as the how i caught my killer piece of it Mm -hmm. because that's different and unique and these are cases you haven't seen a lot if you're if you happen to be interested or it is a passion of yours to understand how marginalized communities are targeted that would be a piece of it if you just binge all of the true crime then sure you're gonna watch it (laughs) yeah but if none of those things appeal i it's it's derivative and a little bit belabored, a little bit overproduced. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We did it as a talking point and because obviously we try to review most of the true crime docs that are coming mm-hmm. out that not most. God, you could never do most. No. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for listening today. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. <laughs>